Hey everyone, this is Jordan. So Sean and I recorded this episode that you're about to hear on Lewis's essay, The Necessity of Chivalry. We recorded it about two weeks ago and actually hadn't planned to release this one until much later this summer. However, last week, Jordan Peterson released a video that you can find on YouTube called A Message to Christian Churches. It's only like a 10-minute video, but it had over a half a million views in 24 hours. And I don't know if it's because I'm in Peterson's uh, demographic, but within those 24 hours, I had three friends send me this video wanting to discuss it. One of Peterson's main messages in the video is to highlight the destructive messages of masculinity in our culture, and then to invite church leaders to provide men, particularly young men, with a good and true understanding of what it means to be a man. Now, It's a pretty big coincidence, but that's almost exactly what Lewis does in this essay that you're about to hear us discuss. In it, Lewis gives a vision for what all men were created to be. And so it's an ideal picture that he admits that, but he thinks it's necessary to have at least something to aim at or to strive for. So this is definitely not going to be a definitive answer of, or even direct response to Peterson's call. But it should at least get the conversation going, I think. Um, At least what Lewis has to say will. And while it might have been a great idea for Sean and I to uh, gear our whole conversation on this essay directly towards Peterson's video, uh, we recorded it like two weeks just before the video was released. So we do reference him a couple of times because we certainly had his messages in mind. Uh, We've heard him talk about this subject uh, and and things very similar to Lewis's essay often before, but um, I think Lewis's essay, The Necessity of Chivalry, is itself largely a a response that um, could be directed towards the issue of masculinity that uh, Peterson is calling on Christians to speak to. And of course, I can't think of a better Christian to speak to that issue than Lewis. So, Of course, neither Sean or I are going to be as articulate uh, or as well-spoken as Lewis, or as Peterson for that matter, but we hope you find this episode and this essay a possible starting point for how Christians can talk about masculinity and the Christian vision that we can maybe give for what an ideal man can and should be, despite what culture is saying. Anyway, if you saw the Peterson video and recognize the need for this, um, well, this essay is a good one for you. So maybe go give the essay a listen for yourself. Of course, Peterson's video can be found on YouTube. And the essay by Lewis is also there on YouTube. It's only nine minutes long. Give it a listen for yourself, perhaps, and uh, come back and hear Sean and I reflect on it. And if you find even our reflection helpful, perhaps you could share that with someone else Uh, who might be interested as well. As always, thanks again for joining us. Welcome to Lesser Known Lewis, where two friends and C.S. Lewis fans explore his lesser known works. Join us this season as we're exploring essays from Lewis that we think speak to our world today. So Jordan, yeah, here we are. We're we're having another conversation about C.S. Lewis, and we are just a couple of dudes, aren't <laughs> we? we? Sure are. 
And we are wading into a conversation that is happening all over the place all the time. And that is about gender. Yeah. Interestingly, though, I, we're, we're staying, we're, we're going to stick because we're going to stick to Lewis's essay. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're actually going to avoid a lot of the, a lot of the landmines. But, but even just talking about chivalry and masculinity, which is what uh, Lewis is writing about in the essay, uh, The Necessity of Chivalry, no surprise there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to step on some toes potentially. Yeah, I'm a little terrified, to be honest. Uh, I think, well, our last couple episodes have been, you know, treading some some topics that make me nervous to speak about on the internet. Um, I mean, the internet, you could say whatever you want, but uh, but I don't like that. I don't like just saying right. whatever I want. And I'm, I'm afraid about a number of topics, trying to speak uh, truthfully and and precisely. And, uh, I mean, especially our last couple about politics, I just felt like I was a little out of my depth there. Um, and oddly enough, I think I feel out of my depth here speaking about masculinity as well, which is scary because again, I know there's going to be landmines that make me nervous. Um, by, I might accidentally say something that's offensive and, um, yeah. So, uh, how do you feel about this one? (laughs) Uh, I will just say this. I, a few of the people that I would listen to occasionally, you know, like I, I have listened to and read some of Jordan Peterson's work and he talks about gender a lot Yeah. in a way that would probably, uh, a lot of what he says, at least, if not all of it would be something that C.S. Lewis would agree with hmm. a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe you could say it the other way in that I think Jordan Peterson would agree with all of Lewis. Yeah, probably a better way to say that too, because I, I can't speak for either of them, but um, but Peterson can look back at what Lewis was saying and say yes or no. And Lewis obviously couldn't couldn't actually even imagine what the conversation about gender would be today. Yeah. Um, but I remember, I'll just say this, like as we get into the conversation, I remember the first time that I ever heard the term toxic masculinity. Uh-huh. And you know what it came from? I was living in Turkey and I was watching a YouTube video and I got an ad at the beginning of it. And it was an ad of a bunch of guys barbecuing and like working on cars and stuff. And it ended up being a Gillette commercial. Yeah. And it was talking about, and again, it just talked about toxic masculinity. I don't want to go into any more of what the commercial said or didn't say. But I remember being like pretty surprised by it. That these, this men, like they make razors for men and women, but they were marketing men's razors and basically saying the stereotype of men that you hold in your mind is antiquated and wrong. And we are the razor for the future huh. um, of those who, who don't love toxic masculinity. And I'm going to say that a lot of that was inferred. But as I watched that, and then I had to look up what was this ad about, and then I suddenly fell into the internet hole of, oh my gosh, this is what toxic masculinity is. That was eight years ago, hmm. maybe. Hmm. And now this is a topic that I've thought of a lot. Again, you know, we, we mentioned a couple of, of like really kind of famous and controversial voices, Peterson, Joe Rogan, that kind of, kind of person. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about an essay that was written in 1940. Uh, so Lewis wrote this while Britain was at war. The world was at war, yeah, and uh, and masculinity even at that time, or at least a masculine ideal, that the the concept that there would be a masculine ideal was was under fire 
Yeah, already no point, in that day. Already in that day. And and this is before, you know, there would be subsequent moves of feminism. And, and I want to mm-hmm. say too, I don't think that feminism and having, a, you know, a chivalrous worldview are at odds. You know, they can be, but right. they don't have to be. Yep. Um, and so we're not, like, let's just say this. It, for this whole episode, let's just, don't don't hear what we're not saying. Yeah. It's going to be that simple. Don't Don't infer what we what we might believe about women because of what we say about men. Yeah. As I think about it, I'm actually quite comforted um, to talk about this essay in that I'm quite confident in the things that Lewis is articulating. Mm-hmm. Even if I, as a man and particularly a white man in 2022, feel scared to say things on the internet publicly um, because First of all, I know that I am not well-spoken and can say things I don't intend to say or mean. Also because I do know that I have a lot of listening to do and learning to do. But also because uh, I know that I do hold some beliefs that are going to be viewed negatively by uh, the majority of culture. However, I guess what comforts me about this episode and this essay and makes me feel like, okay, I think we can put this out there on the internet. Um, and we won't may, we hopefully won't get canceled is I don't think anything that that Lewis is saying in this essay should be controversial. No, I don't think it should be either. I would agree. He says a lot of good things that I think our culture, our culture should consider and needs to hear. Yes. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. I, I think that's right. Um, and, and even just to say like, okay, so in this essay, in the, the necessity of chivalry, he really talks about chivalry as the masculine ideal. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and that I think is probably the, the offensive part of this whole essay and our conversation is that there is a masculine ideal. Right. Yeah. Because probably if you're listening to us and this isn't your very first episode, you know, you're not listening to it because you're outraged about two guys talking about C.S. Lewis, um, you more than likely aren't going to be somebody who is shocked by the idea that we would talk about masculinity, that it exists as a concept, which we do and which, and I'm going to say we do, Jordan, I assume that's true. For that's you correct. Too. Yes, I, I do. And, and, um, and that again, biblically and philosophically, um, that, uh, that, that, that is a thing. Uh, but again, it's one of those don't hear what we're not saying pieces where we talk about some ideals that go into masculinity. Masculinity is not, um, an easily defined closed system. It's not a box. It's not just one list that can say, oh, this is masculine and that is not. Some things clearly are and some things clearly are not, but, but it is, it is a cultural concept. Um, but it also is a supracultural concept in that it is shared by many, many cultures. Mm. And, and so he, Lewis is talking about ideal masculinity here through the lens of chivalry and, and in a context of, of, like I said, war, um, speculation about whether it's helpful still to talk about chivalry and, and these kinds of things and recognizing that even in 1940, the concept of chivalry was, was considered a bit antiquated and stuffy and old fashioned by Brits of his day. But I think as we go along in this conversation, um, I would hope that you, again, we say this about every episode or every essay, uh, especially young men, but all people read this essay and do further reading on the topic, uh, because it will only 
it will only help us to overcome some of the issues that have been associated with manhood, like misogyny, uh, like the abuse of women or the weak, yeah, uh, like uh, hyperviolence, like any of these kinds of things that might be associated with toxic masculinity, you know, that Gillette may have put out there. Yeah. By the way, I think that commercial was totally unhelpful. I, I think it was pandering, and I also think... Um, I, uh, I'm not on a big soapbox about this. If you love Gillette, that's fine. But I just think it was, it was the wrong move. If you really think that, um, that men need to act better than to say that all the stereotypes that you associate with manhood are wrong and we need to get beyond them. I think the right move is to develop a concept of, of something like chivalry, which is what Lewis does here. So, mm. um, having said all that, Jordan, can you take us in? What is chivalry according to Lewis? Well, this is probably a bad time to bring it up, but I actually had an email from Gillette and they wanted to sponsor our podcast, but I think maybe now <laughs> it's not going to work. Anyway, uh, Lewis, Lewis says that chivalry is an idea that he's picking out of the Middle Ages, which, by the way, he was an expert in. Like That's what his – he was a professor of medieval literature and mind-blowingly had read everything – written in English, written in the 16th century. Unreal. Wow. So he, wow. he knows a thing or two about the Middle Ages and particularly this idea about chivalry. Um, I'll read a quote and then we can kind of break it down. He says that the medieval ideal, of course, of chivalry, brought together two things which have no natural tendency to gravitate towards one another. It brought them together for that very reason meaning like chivalry brings together two things that don't naturally tend to come together. It has to be forced together. Um, so chivalry taught humility and forbearance to the great warrior because everyone knew by experience how much he usually needed that lesson. And chivalry also demanded valor of the urbane and modest man because everyone knew that he was as likely as not to be a milksop. Um, and then he, he says that this image of chivalry was kind of epitomized in the, you know, the great character of Sir Lancelot from like the Arthur um, saga, uh, mm -hmm. but more generally the class of knights in medieval literature. Mm -hmm. When I hear the word chivalry, I think of a knight. Yeah, I, I really do. Yeah, and it's funny that we would, you know, because we're thinking about it backwards through through a lens of romanticism, um, you know, like fictionalized romanticism. We're thinking about knights through the lens of chivalry all the time. If you know the knight in the sh in shining armor actually didn't really exist in history, hmm. it was the job of the concept of chivalry to take a warrior class that is, you know, European medieval knights and try and redeem them just a little bit. Because I want you to imagine a world that was dominated by men, and not just men, but the strongest man with the sharpest weapons. And that's really what knights were. You know, they could be as much bullies as they could be champions of, of, uh, of the weak and the needy. Mm. And, and, and as many, there were classes of knights that were, that were Christian monks, which is crazy warrior monks, you know, not something that I would say that, that, um, biblical literature or, or the early church could ever have imagined hmm. that that would, you know, the first monks would never imagine the Templars coming after them, I would say. Right. Yeah. Um, 
but having said all that, you know, even even with that, there this concept of chivalry was necessary as a um, almost as a you know the same way that you'd put like an iodine tablet into into um, water that you that you took out of a swamp to make it drinkable is like a purifying or a refining quality that they would put over this class of people to not just to restrain them, but to take that um, masculine energy that is amoral, but that was being spent in the service of evil a lot of times and mm-hmm. oppression mm-hmm. and and uh, and greed and whatever else. Like just, again, look at the Crusades. Lots of that was carried out by knights who just wanted more land and were willing to do it in the name of religion. Chivalry says, okay, let's just pump the brakes here a little bit. Um, you're supposed to be something better than that. So chivalry calls the knight to a higher level. Yeah. And and I think that that can only be good. I think that can only be good. Yeah. And notice that it doesn't call the knight to stop being a knight. Yes. Or to stop being a warrior. That's right. Uh, Lewis points out that chivalry is not, um, it's, I guess he points out that there's two sides that men and, and tend to exist in, you know, they're, they're as in the quote, he's, he calls them the great warrior and then the, the urbane or which kind of means like courteous or refined men can be courteous and refined men can also be great warriors. But I guess maybe the thing is that these two things don't generally coincide very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if this is helpful language to use for these categories, but we kind of, we now talk about like an alpha male and a beta male. Mm-hmm. Um, Lewis certainly didn't use, maybe he didn't know those terms because they're probably more recent, but I guess, um, yeah. So to what you're saying, it's like um, Lewis says that chivalry isn't saying that uh, we've got to take warriors and get them to stop being warriors. Mm-hmm. And, but neither is it saying that we've got to take the courteous and refined men and get them to stop being courteous and refined and be warriors. Mm-hmm. He says it's, it's, but also it's not a compromise between the two things. It's not like a, a happy mean or medium between these. It's not like a tension and you got to find the balance point between the two. He actually says it's both things to the nth. That's right. And he calls he calls it a paradox. So he says sh- chivalry is um, it's ferocious to the nth. It's it's a stern man when it comes to his foe. Uh, he says it's a, a man of blood and iron, familiar with the sight of smashed faces and ragged stumps of loft up, lopped off limbs. Brave, stubborn, enjoys the terror he inspires. But it's also meek to the nth. A chivalrous man is meek to the nth. He's civilized, courteous, refined, uh, particularly in relationship with women. He calls them, um, in in some situations, demure, almost maidenlike, but able to be a guest in um, very fancy situations, gentle, modest, unobtrusive. And so it's not men... Uh, need to be a fine balance of these things, but it's almost like men need to have both things in their skill set. Yeah, and then the wisdom to know which is required for which situation. Hmm. I, I think that's a good word to use. Even wisdom, um, because wisdom will will allow, and and even I would say understanding of chivalry or of manhood, masculinity. 
will allow a man who holds these two qualities to the nth degree to properly apply them without compromising one or the other. Mm I think of this, um, you know, my my uh, stepdad, he is, uh, he's a part of the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. In fact, he's a detachment commander. He's a veteran. He was a peacekeeper in Bosnia. You know, he's a, he's a hunter. Uh, he's a, he's a, a big guy. Oh, you got this great picture um, of us. Uh, we went on a, on a canoe trip with my mom. This is years ago. I think maybe even before I was, I was married possibly. I'm not sure. But anyway, we went on this canoe trip on, on Shell River in Northern Saskatchewan. And, uh, we're both standing there shirtless and it's like, Oh no, I, I need to work out. <laughs> it, it, was, it was great. Okay, but anyway, so he's, he's physically this big guy. Um, and, and, and skilled, like I've seen him now re- renovate four or five houses. They buy usually, um, homes that need renovation. And he just, he brings that craftsmanship and skill to everything that he does. Amazing at landscaping, amazing gardener, amazing cook. Like he's, he's great in many of those things. And, and, uh, you know, and he actually, he teaches other police officers in Canada. Uh, he, he used to do like taser instruction and, uh, and, um, uh, pepper spray training and things like that, which required him constantly to be sprayed. Like, <laughs> so like he's, wow. he's a tough guy. He's got great stories uh, of, of being in Bosnia. And I mean, if it can be great in a war zone, but, but of these, of just these moments of being in war. And so he really epitomizes that he is quite ferocious. And in fact, I would say one, I've got this picture of him in my mind as I tell all these qualities, uh, where, uh, he was, he was lending me a knife. It was a K-bar, uh, which if you know, it's about a nine inch kind of combat knife. And I was taking it camping and, and he sharpened it up for me beforehand. And he just got this look on his face while he was sharpening this knife that he had carried while he was a soldier. Hmm. And it was like, oh my gosh, uh, this guy, I have only known him in a domestic setting, uh, but he, he's actually dangerous. He would actually be dangerous. And you know what else I'll say? Hmm. He has been, he is better than I am at changing a diaper. <laughs> really? He, he has been amazing with my three children. So I have, I have three kids, five and younger, and he is the most tender grandfather with all three of them. Hmm. He will cuddle them. He will dance with them. He will sing songs to them. And when I was reading about chivalry, I was like, oh, Carl. Yeah. Yeah. I have seen his gentleness knowing, because I've heard the stories of how he has had to restrain criminals. He's a part of, you know, he's a part of various task force forces with the RCMP that puts him in the line of fire oftentimes. And like I said, he's a dangerous man. But when he's with my children, there is maybe nobody who I would trust to be more gentle. He can restrain his strength that well, better than I can. I, I, I tend to sometimes hurt my kids while I'm, 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 uh, you know, kind of rough playing with them Yeah, and he wouldn't. And so I know that was kind of long. I went on a big tirade and this isn't all about, I think it's helpful. My stepdad. 
Carl. But yeah, it paints a picture of, of a modern example of that that I look at go, oh, that's chivalry. That's what Lewis is talking about when he's talking about it not being a compromise, when it's both sides to the nth degree, um, when it's this ideal. And I would say, and I'm going I'm to just quote Lewis again here. He says that this ideal, this mixture of these two qualities that creates chivalry um, is nowhere fully attained and nowhere attained at all without arduous discipline. Mm. And if anything marked this kind of like martial spirit and this, this meek spirit both in Carl, it would be that he is a thoroughly disciplined and selfless person. And, and so I just, I, I really agree that, that he's kind of become an, an archetype for me there. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Do you want to riff off that quote at all? Or, or, or what would you say about that maybe picture of, of the, uh, the gentle, the gentle yet dangerous man? I think that was a great picture, like a, a excellent illustration. Um, is this where you talk about how your brother is a dancer and also was in the <laughs> army? No, but maybe I could. Uh, I mean, hey, you just brought it up. We'll use it. My uh, <laughs> my brother uh, is uh, is also uh, just just rejoined the reserves. And, oh, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, huh. um, but he's also a high school teacher, and having his second baby this fall. And I mean, I'll just say all the same things that you just said about your stepfather. But you know, he's that guy who just loves hunting and, and the army and wants to do that for very noble reasons. Like, you know, if we can refer back to the, why I'm not a pacifist essay. Um, but also incredible and soft and gentle with his wife and kids. And, um, mm-hmm. and like you said, was, is an excellent dancer, like for a time was in a dance crew. And so I remember I used to tell people that my brother was both, uh, the, you know, they say, what, what does he do? And I'd be like, he's in the army and he's in a dance group. Yeah. Like, cause those things don't seem to, uh, usually go together. Right. But it's, um, I think what Lewis is, um, painting here is this picture of, it doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be both. Mm-hmm. And what I worry about in our culture is that with, well, there's a couple things going on in our culture right now. The first is this push against toxic masculinity and where there is a push against men misusing their power. I'm for that. Mm-hmm. But what I worry about is a the, the push would uh, push against men of a certain type or, or no, I worry that the push will go against all men in their natural desire and inclination to be a great warrior. If we can just use mm-hmm. kind of that phrase for the all encompassing side of, of that side of masculinity, mm-hmm. because then what will happen is we will end up with men that are toxic for other, for the opposite reasons. Yeah. They'll be, they'll be toxic because they are permissive instead of aggressive and the pendulum will swing in the other direction because the other thing that's going on in our world right now, more generally, not specifically to do with men is that our world is uh, demanding rights and not talking about responsibility. Yes. And a big thing, this is where I find Jordan Peterson helpful is a big thing with him is to call young men 
to be responsible and into responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I think he's right that that's a huge thing that young men are lacking and, and craving. Yes. And they're, they're depressed. Um, because they don't have the adventure of responsibility cultures telling them to just pursue happiness or just, um, it's okay to sit at home and play video games. You have the right to, so it's like this entitlement thing. And so if we have all of that, if we have this so much comfort and safety in our society, which we do, cause we're very affluent society, we will lose the impetus within us as men to go seek adventure and danger in healthy ways. Mm -hmm. And so one of two things is going to happen if toxic masculinity movement is super successful is one, it will lop off the healthy side of this great warrior in men. And you'll be left with the milk sop that Lewis refers to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The other is that it will be, It'll be I have the picture of like a, a balloon, like an inflated balloon. If you, if you push it too down too much on one side, it's just going to burst out in another. Mm-hmm. You're going to get, you're going to get a reaction against it and men will act in dangerous ways that are unhelpful and unhealthy and unrestrained. Yeah. I completely agree with you. I, I actually think I, I would advocate for, and, and in the college kind of push people to think this way. Not everybody fully agrees with me on our, on our staff and faculty, but, but, uh, that, that the idea even of toxic masculinity is completely unhelpful. I actually don't think it's mm-hmm. helpful at all. Um, for all the reasons that you just said, and, and I would say that, um, I, I've heard the definition of, of a dysfunction, you know, whether it be a dysfunctional relationship or a dysfunctional behavior or whatever, a dysfunction is a legitimate need met through an illegitimate end or a legitimate impulse expressed in an illegitimate way. And I think that what we've done with toxic masculinity is, is said, okay, and, and let's say something is genuinely dysfunctional, like a man's aggression is being manifest toward his, an innocent child. That, that it's just so clear that that's not okay. And, and we would say, oh, that comes from toxic masculinity because he feels like he needs to be the head of the household and, and, and that's, that's twisted him into this controlling, domineering, um, autocrat, you know, whatever, whatever the, you know, the case may be in that, in that scenario. I would say in that scenario, all those things that you just mentioned, like even aggression, I don't think is, I, I think can be redeemed and, and can be a very good thing. I think it's amoral. It depends though. It can become mm. dysfunctional when it is put forward to an illegitimate end. Um, absolutely. I believe that. And so, so all these things, um, that, that are associated with chivalry. I think chivalry does the exact opposite. It says, okay, you have this legitimate need or this legitimate impulse because the impulse is amoral, even let's say. Let's find the legitimate end for it to be expressed in. Yeah. And, and what we do when we, when we tell boys and men that masculinity is or can be toxic and, and don't really clearly define even what that means so that then they're confused and they start to apply that toxic um, label to anything that is just associated with being a man or being male, then um, what happens is is that they, they retreat into fantasies and those fantasies are in themselves usually dysfunctional. It is dysfunctional for me to take my entrepreneurial spirit into Roller Coaster Tycoon 3000. 
you know? Yeah. And that, and that's the only thing. Fine. Play that game. It's nothing wrong with you playing that game, but, but where and when that becomes the, the only way that you can meet that need, that's a problem because it would be better for you to have shared your entrepreneurial gift on the free market and take a risk in the world, which is a part of what all this, you know, we've been using the terms like the warrior term warrior or, or chivalrous or whatever. Um, but it applies to other things to the craftsman, to the artist, yeah, to the intellectual, yeah. yep, to all all of these things, um, and yeah, again, to the hunter, to the to the to the nature lover, the ecologist, um, to the uh, to the bodybuilder, right? Like, it's not just about the stereotype; it has to go beyond the stereotype. And chivalry, ironically, breaks the stereotype, I think, better than whatever our our twenty first century deconstructionist mm. um, attempts have been. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's a good way to put it. It's the attempt at correcting um, the many faults of man, men. Um, and I'm not afraid to say that men have faults. Of course we do. Um, but for me, I say, why do we have faults and what are they? And it starts with original sin and then we build from there. Yeah. Uh, kind of go actually going back to the, you know, two ways with the self essay, there's a true self, there's a true masculinity included in that, right? And there's a true femininity. There's also a false self, a false masculinity for men yeah. and a false femininity for women, but that's not for this um, essay. Yeah. And I think what's, what I see in a lot of the movement uh, to reshape the image of of what a man's supposed to be in culture right now is like what you said, it's destructive. Um, it's not they're like literally they're, they're not really giving much of a, here's what a man should be. It's just stop being that stop doing that and destroys, uh, classic images of men. And maybe some of them are unhelpful, but this, what Lewis begins to paint here in this very brief, like eight minute, uh, essay to listen to, um, is an ideal to aim for, which is, mm-hmm. I think, really helpful. And I think I just listened to a Jordan Peterson podcast where he said, uh, this is off topic for Lewis, but it's helpful for this conversation, I think. He says, this isn't a direct quote, but he said that uh, toxic masculinity uses strength to uh, destroy and and it's de- you know it's destructive non-toxic masculinity uses that same strength to build and be creative. Mm -hmm. And so, like you said, you can be a great warrior and take that great warrior spirit of masculinity into the arts. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't have to look like bodybuilding or UFC. Mm -hmm. And, and I would say too, like that, 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 that construction, and now we might be getting a little bit off track because I'll just say this. This isn't what Lewis says is what I'm saying. If we want to be constructive with our masculinity, as you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're alluding to right now, I would say uh, we have to remember that a part of the, the chivalry ethos, as I understand it through Lewis and, um, and, and from beyond, is that there are times when masculinity is, is necessarily violent and is necessarily deconstructive, but, but not the way, like not in the way that you said it shouldn't be. Um, a a case in point would be, it's, it's quite interesting to see how people have rallied behind, uh, Ukraine and the idea that, that young men and women both, but that, and, and not just young people, but people young and old should 
fight for their country and that what is considered toxic, mm, mm-hmm. uh, that, that kind of, uh, physical competition that does actual violence and, and leads to death in people, uh, that saying, no, we are not backing down that obstinacy that, that is tied up in that warrior ethos is not metaphorical it is literal in, in the context of Ukraine and Russia and, and all those conflicts that are happening um, there. And that, that a lot of the people who are, uh, would, would say, oh yeah, masculinity is toxic, period, or that there is a toxic aspect to masculinity, are looking at the young soldiers and, and applauding them and lauding them uh, in Ukraine. Because who is it typically who will run into a war zone? We're seeing that everybody will of all ages and both genders both sexes. Yeah, I'm just showing my bias there. Um, but uh, are running into to the defense of Ukraine uh, right now. But it is it is in any war, predominantly young men who have that drive and who will without thought put themselves in harm's way to do harm. That's mm-hmm. what a warrior is meant to do. Mm-hmm. And and that is that is a part of it. And so I think it works metaphorically, yes, like we've been discussing, and it also works literally. And that the only way that that doesn't turn into barbarism is um, by making sure that it's infused with chivalry. Mm. Yeah, ensuring that um, those men who are displaying acts of being great warriors when the time calls for it um, don't keep being great warriors in other situations where what's called for is being civilized that's right acting civilized and and being courteous and refined and 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 gentle and and um showing those sides of things says it exactly in this essay but the idea is basically people are men are going to be one or the other naturally Mm -hmm. and i yeah yeah, i think he does say it because that's why he says it needs to be a discipline it's got to be something that you train yourself in if you're naturally uh the great warrior and that's your predominant mode you've got to train yourself in the other mode you've got to you've really got to discipline that and grow that I, i would totally agree it's easier for us i think to imagine kind of the obnoxious man and how he needs to be restrained because that, that becomes more of a problem, yeah, uh, a visible problem maybe for society. Uh, but then the opposite is true of the passive aggressive man yeah, uh, who becomes embittered and resentful mm-hmm. and, 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 and becomes really a terror to himself and others, but in small social ways. Yeah. And that would be the, the milksop I would say. And, and, and so Lewis, you know, he talks about all these heroes in, in, in sagas uh, through the, the classical world and, and, and into the early medieval period who knew nothing of chivalry and, and how bad they really were. Uh, and he talks about real historical figures, you know, Attila the Hun, who, and, 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 and I would add to that list, you know, uh, uh, Genghis Khan. And, and he talks about Achilles and, and different people who, who really just terrorized people and yeah. how the, the convention of, of chivalry was such an improvement on that. <laughs> Just such an improvement on that and, and just such an important tradition, which I think we've, we've covered quite a bit. Um, uh, I want to come back to the two-sided Lancelot thing for a minute, though. Sure. Is to say, 
I think one side of the milksop that I, I didn't think of until you were talking about it is um is that you can be so restrained and, and repressed maybe in your in in that aggressive violent side, the warrior side, that you become embittered to the point where the warrior side explodes out in extremely destructive ways. Yep. And what what comes to mind is school shootings. Yep. That's exactly what I thought. Yeah, I I got to say, I don't think, um, I mean, we could get into gun violence right now. I don't, I don't think this is the time or place for that, but, but, uh, I don't think that school shootings or school violence like that, whether a gun or a knife or, or even just fists are used or a bomb, you know, anything that would take life would be stopped if we stopped having guys standing around laughing loud and barbecuing together. Right. I don't think, I don't think that those school shootings stop when we say, um, Hey, put a muffler on that car or on that truck or, or actually like, you know, stop, stop. My, my younger brother can deadlift like 500 pounds and I'm so, wow. I'm just so jealous of him. You know, like if we were to restrain those things in those young men who are expressing it that way, those aren't the guys who are, who are doing the shootings. It's, it's young men who feel alienated, isolated, who typically have, you know, no, I shouldn't say typically, but in, in some recent cases, um, narcissistic personality disorders, who feel slighted by the world, overlooked by the world, and powerless. That's just it. They feel powerless. Like they are, they are men who have some natural desire to feel powerful. But for whatever reason, and it's not necessarily because of these anti-masculine movements, but for whatever reason, they feel they can't be powerful or they're not allowed to be or whatever has happened to them, they feel powerless. And so it's an act of power. Yeah. But to your point, I think what's happening is, or, or yeah, the, a movement against tos- toxic masculinity um, isn't going to create less aggressive men that's it yeah and and so that's why i talk about dysfunction uh because again like yeah school shooting is is a actually an unfathomable tragedy to me so to call it a dysfunction yeah. make is almost too small but it is it is mm. a dysfunctional masculinity happening there where you have some kind of legitimate need that's being met through a, a grossly illegitimate end and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so I would say, you know, I would say that it would be useless to introduce those young men who are perpetrating those shootings to socially progressive ideas of masculinity to talk them out of their shooting. Um, I don't think that telling them that telling them about toxic masculinity would have helped them. I think counseling would have therapy would have. Um, I think yeah. that being in a in a loving, chivalrous, um, strong tribe of men uh, that were could have kept them out of it. I mean, how many how many shootings would have happened but didn't because of an older man stepping into the life of a younger man and inviting him into the world of men, which we don't want, even necessarily because of the toxic masculinity dialogue, um, to to say it even exists. But it does, and it should, as long as it's not also victimizing people um, 
who are outside of those groups. I guess maybe it could be that uh, men who commit acts of violence, you know, because it's not uh, restricted to school shootings, but just men who commit acts of violence, um, it could be that that aggressive warrior side is too much. It needs to be toned down. Yeah. Um, but it's not just, that's not going to happen. Like you're saying, just by saying, stop that. Right. Don't be that. Don't be that at all. They have to be that somewhere. And to some degree at some times. And so I think that's what you're saying with, they could use a counselor or an older man Yeah. to teach them. Like I said, the other skill set of, you know, the creative way to use their strength or the courteousness, but also to teach them the wisdom of, of when to be aggressive and when it's okay to be aggressive or, or a warrior or strong, maybe strong is a better way to put it than aggressive. How and where and when to be strong and where to be restrained and refined. Yeah. On a personal level, on that note, I um I did uh, maybe four or five months of Brazilian jiu-jitsu when I lived in Turkey. Four, yeah, really? Four of those months were... I did not know uh, yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, learn new, new things from C.S. Lewis all the time. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I did that... Um, kind of partially for this reason, like I was interested in it and it looked great. And anyway, I did some research and I'm like, I want to try some kind of somewhat legit martial art and looked at a few different things, ended up with, with uh, BJJ. And most of that time, except for one month was spent uh, just with some friends. But I also went to a gym, um, uh, taught by, you know, like an actual black belt who learned in Brazil and whatever, and, and was a part of that for a period of time. And it was really interesting because the week before I started, I was already signed up, but I but I hadn't started yet. The week before I started, I was walking through Karakoy, which is just uh, this district in in Istanbul, where there's a lot of nightlife and and whatever. And uh, I was with with a friend of mine named Danny, and and it was everything was kind of shutting down. It was late at night, maybe midnight, and uh, there was a guy coming out of a bar who wouldn't let his wife or girlfriend, fiance, I don't really know, go. He was holding her by the wrist. They were both had been drinking. She was crying mm. and trying to get away from him. And everybody on the street, there was lots of people around. So I could, I could see probably 20 or 30 people from where I was at. Everybody turned away. Everybody wow. kind of faded back into their shops or looked down at their phones this guy wasn't beating her. There was no, there wasn't any violence like that, but it was clear she was distressed and it was clear that he was, um, a, not a savory character we'll say. And so Danny and I walked over to him. Uh, we went over to him and in our broken Turkish in the awkwardness of that moment, we're like, what are you doing? You need to stop and got between him and his, and his girlfriend. We ended up having to follow this group for almost two blocks and he was probably twice my size. He's bigger than me or Danny, big guy. And again, drinking and embarrassed and maybe kind of confused that these two foreigners with these accents are trying to talk him down and holding on to him and holding on to her, comforting her through it. And, and again, it was, it was a long time before anybody, um, finally somebody did call the police and actually we were able to separate them. And as soon as they were separated, she ran away and we held him back and he got really mad and almost kind of turned that toward us and realized that if he did, like a crowd kind of started to form once we stepped in. 
but not before. Yeah. And I, I remember that I, I did a little bit of research thereafter and, and there is a kind of like a bystander syndrome. There's been instances that have happened in New York city of, of people being stabbed, bleeding to death over hours in the middle of big apartment complexes because everyone just thought somebody else would call an ambulance. Huh. A lot of muggings actually happen with help around. You don't imagine, you know, you imagine the back alley, the isolation, it doesn't. And you know why? One of the reasons why is because there's no aggressive action taking place. There's nobody who's willing to put themselves in there. And so I would agree with you. I think strength is a better analogy, but there are situations where aggression is called for and it's, it's righteous and it's, and it's, and it's chivalrous. Yeah, and if you're wondering what would those situations be, uh, go back and listen to the episode on why I am not a pacifist. So Jordan, um, like to make it personal again, I mean, as two men talking about masculinity, it's inherently personal. So, so what did this say to you and, and why do you think that this essay is something that we should be reading today? Yeah. Uh, well, I'll start with the personal side. Um, I mean, yeah, I, this isn't surprising. I don't think to anyone who knows me listening or to you, Sean, um, I probably more, on the uh, beta male side, you know, um, I'm not, uh, well, I don't know that I would describe myself as courteous and defined, but maybe, maybe passive, more passive than anything. And so this has challenged um, that in me because mm. I have often used that uh, well, I think. I've also often, um, used it as a get out of having to do hard things and help people card. Cause I just, I'm the guy st- on the street standing by going, is anyone going to help this guy? Cause, uh, I don't know if I want to, or I don't know if I have what it takes. Um, right. So for me, I just went, it, it became, well, and I think for any, maybe for any man listening, I think consider which one are you naturally gravitating towards and which one, yeah, which one do you need to train and discipline within yourself and challenge? Um, I think one thing I thought of that I would suggest, um, to help grow yourself in chivalry, you know, this, this ability to be both a, a great warrior and a great man in hall as Lewis puts it, which I think just means like, I don't know what, what, what's he, what he's got in mind there as a, I would imagine in, in academic circles, he's thinking of, of, a uh, an intellectual person who can be kind and courteous and gentle, but, um, sophisticated, you know, uh, get you a man who can do both as they say, but, <laughs> uh, how do we grow in that? How do we discipline ourselves in that? I think one of the best things that will help is community because community, when you have good community around you, it will help, uh, restrain 
and um, harness maybe the 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 strengths you have that need harnessing. Um, because you when you are in community, you've got to submit at times to the needs and the strengths of others. So it'll help like shape and guide that if that's your strong side, but it also then gives you um, people who need you to be gentle and people who need your love and people who need you to act civilized for. So it'll grow you in that side, I think as well. There was two parts to your question. I've already forgot the second one. Well, and I have a terrible habit of asking two questions at the same time. You do. It's it's fine. I love it. But why don't I just turn it back to you? What uh, what does chivalry <laughs> demand of you, Sean? Well, yeah. Again, I'm getting a I'm getting an office worker hunch. Uh, you know, like uh, 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 yeah. In in my back, I'm in front of a computer all the time. It, you, I'm not. And yeah, anybody who knows me, I have so many friends who are classically manly people, like auto body mechanics and construction workers and concrete pourers. You know, I live, a, I live two blocks away from Nigel Richards, who is somebody who we both went to college with, who is, yeah, who is, I who, almost just said his name. Oh yeah. I mean, who's got a voice that will literally echo through the town of Eston whenever he's outside yeah. talking um, and just very competent and, and who I would say is quite chivalrous. I think he's great. I think he's, he's very much, and, and rallies men around and whatever. I'm, I'm not, I'm not physical. I'm a 145 pound dude who works in an office and, and teaches and thinks for a living. Mm. Uh, but I would say, so I would say like, yeah, I, 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 I constantly am inspired by and challenged by the example of the warrior ethos. And, and I would also say that two, two really important things about me being that guy. One is that, uh, I always, I, I read both meekness and, um, the, that aggression or assertiveness or warrior spirit through Jesus. I, I think it's important that we mm. look at him as the ideal man. Yeah, that's really good. And, uh, and then the second thing that I would say about that is that Lewis writes so much more on this topic. And my favorite um, kind of treatment that I've read, because I've read, you know, he, he's got men without chess and that's super, super helpful as well. And, and, and he talks about various things. Yeah. Um, chocolate soldiers and, and those different different kinds of concepts and other essays as well. So we're going to talk about this again, I'm sure. But but I love when he uh, writes Out of the Silent Planet and he he encounter he has um, Ransom, the main character, who is actually also him. He's writing himself into the story. Yeah. Encounter on the planet Mars these different archetypes of manhood, and one is the hunter warrior poet. Huh. One is the intellectual. And one is the craftsman. Huh. And I want to say that I, I have a, a friend here. He, he was recently a, a, a prof at the college, faculty member in Eston, who hated all of this kind of masculinity talk for the most part, even though he's so good at it and so articulate. He hated it. He hated the wild at heart kind of John Eldridge style sure. of Christianity yeah. and, and all that kind of thing because he felt like it was too reductionistic. And I feel like Lewis actually isn't reductionistic when he talks about chivalry. Yeah. And I hope that that comes through in this conversation. Like, so, so again, I'm not, I'm not the guy, I'm not the physically imposing guy and, and I'm not the one you're going to call when your car breaks down. Um, but I hope to embody the ideal of chivalry um, in different ways and continue to grow in those areas where I am deficient or, or, or just different without shame 
and without feeling like uh, uh, unless I can, you know, unless I I am jacked to a certain degree mm-hmm. and unless I can bench a certain amount, then I'm not a real man. That's not what any of this is about. No. It's about saying, let us find what redeemed masculinity looks like hmm. and push that pedal full throttle. Mm-hmm. That's what we want to be yeah. as men. Yeah. It, maybe it's saying masculinity isn't just one thing. Right. And yeah, I think it just keeps coming back to this wisdom thing. You got to know uh, when to hold them and you got to know when to fold them. And you got to <laughs> know, you got to know when to walk away. And what's the other line? You know what? When to... I wish that I knew. It was applying, but you know what I mean? I do. You've, you've got to know when to do one thing or the other. Cause actually it, um, it reminds me of Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter three, that sometimes it is a time for, well, and then it just goes through a whole list of things uh, of opposites. Sometimes it's a time for strength. Sometimes it's a time to be weak, you know? Sometimes it's a time to be bold. Sometimes it's a time to be gentle. And as men, we have to be good at doing both. Actually, this reminds me of something that my dean of students at the seminary said in our orientation. He said, and he said this about being priests. He said, wherever you end up as a priest or a pastor, um, you're going to need to be able to relate with your congregation. And he said, you're going to have to do, you're going to have to be able to be a guy who, who is comfortable going to an orchestra and listening to a symphony, as well as a guy who's comfortable going to monster trucks. Yeah. And I don't know. That seems like another good little picture of chivalry. I agree completely. Any last thoughts, Sean? No, but I will recommend, I've been listening to the art of manliness podcast and looking at that, that blog for years. Hmm. And, uh, I really, Brett McKay is the kind of the curator of that. He does some of it with his wife. Um, but he's, he's the host of the podcast and that kind of thing. And, and it's been going for probably, it's gotta be close to 15 years. I was in college when I discovered it and I think it was still pretty new. And his treatment of this over the years is really, really good. It's really, really good. So I would, I would say if you're interested in this, that's another one and and just kind of like a shout out to him and and to to everybody at AOM and and how they've impacted my 20s and now my early 30s as well. Uh and other than that, I would just say I hope that this is a conversation we come back to because I think there's a lot more to say and to and to discuss and think about. But uh <laughs> on just on a personal level, having had this conversation with you Jordan, it it actually inspires me so much to just be better. Huh. And, and to, and to strive for more and, and to do that because maybe I was born for that, you know? And, and I think that that, I hope that that's the kind of takeaway that, that people would come when they they hear us talk about masculinity and and chivalry and all those kinds of things. Um, Men and women both. And, and I hope that there's a day when, when we can have, and we would definitely need some women on for this, but I I hope there's something that we'll talk about femininity as well, but I don't know if this podcast is going to get to it because I don't know of any Lewis essays that cover that topic. Uh, Yeah, there might be. I can't remember off the top of my head exactly if, if femininity will necessarily make a showing. It would certainly if we did a podcast on the Ransom Trilogy. 
Yeah, which we should probably just do. Once we run through all the lesser known Lewis, we'll go into the very well known Lewis. <laughs> yeah. So folks, if you would like to hear us get to the Ransom trilogy, would you continue to support us <laughs> yeah. so that we can get through all of these essays? Uh, no, but seriously, thanks for listening. And um, yeah, actually, if you could support us, just leave a rating or a review on whatever podcast app you're listening to. That um, that does a lot to help uh, get this podcast out to people who aren't just our friends and family. Um, we, I mean, we have been blown away with how many of our friends and family have been listening from the beginning here. And uh, we're very grateful, especially for the feedback we've been getting. Please continue to let us know uh, how we're doing and, and maybe even what we could do better as we continue on. We, Sean and I have uh, plans for a lot more. So as we go, we're, we'd like to get better. So thanks for listening. Let us. Uh, yeah. Let- and, and, and to add to that, sorry to cut you off, Jordan, didn't mean to do no, that. That's fine. Uh, just a shout out to all our international listeners as well. Um, this was something that we thought would gain some traction in our social circles here in Canada and the constituency of the college and our respective churches and that kind of thing. But it's exciting to see that uh, we've got people from, from different countries um, tuning in. And uh, and so, yeah, please email us at uh, lesserknownlewis at gmail.com and uh, let us know if you have a thought about something that we've said and uh, maybe we'll give you um, a platform on the podcast a little later. We hope you enjoyed our discussion on this text. If you want to join us in making these works of C.S. Lewis more well-known, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a comment and a rating to help get the word out to other listeners. If you have your own thoughts or questions from this episode, we'd love to hear from you. Please send us a message at lesserknownlewis at gmail.com and we'll get back to you. Great. Yeah, really sorry for cutting you off. That was fine. If you had a good flow there, then I stepped on your toe. Should have been a little bit more chivalrous. (laughs) 